What's up, everyone? It's Nick from the Arsenal Bros Podcast joining you again with our biggest episode yet. They continue just to get longer and longer and longer as we divulge into more and more and more of this enthralling Premier League season. So we review the 2-1 victory over Leeds and we preview the blockbuster North London Derby. Stay tuned. Good morning, USA, UK, and everywhere in between. We are the Arsenal Bros coming at you to chat a little about our beloved Gunners. We're here with a bro and an honorary bro today. Kevin, welcome aboard. How you doing? Doing very well. Still feeling on a high after that match and already can't get my mind off of the big Darby on Thursday. Oh, man. It's like the only thing I can think about. And a huge welcome to Big Papa 1-4 Pat. Pat. Hello, hello. hello. The Arsenal Bros debut for you. Man, what a big time to pull you in. What a time to be alive. I'll tell you what. We're bagging 12 from 12 in our last four matches, and we got the biggest one of the season coming. And I'm I'm ready for war. I tell you what, what a what a season to uh, to start your Arsenal fanhood. Well, last season was really the start. Oh, so you, you've seen a, a valley, and you're starting to see a peak. Oh, yeah, yeah. My my uh, <laughs> my fanhood started in a in a pretty deep valley, um, one that I wasn't sure we'd climb out of. But um, in BDM, we trust and. Um, he's he's taking us to the mountaintop, and I can't wait to get there with you all. You know, I tell you what, it says a lot about you that you stuck with us after as shambolic as last season was. I mean, I tell you, about everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And... Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, a little background on me as an honorary bro. Um, my football fanhood actually started with Bayern Munich. Um, back in 2006, I had a German exchange student that uh, introduced me to Bayern Munich. And that was also the same year that uh, USA went to the World Cup. And so it was kind of kind of two avenues for me to get into football. But, um, you know, I just felt like I needed more football in my life. And I knew you and Kev were uh, big, big gunners. And so it just felt like it felt like the right thing to do. And it also felt like, you know, coming from Bayern and coming from a team who, um, you know, win at least one trophy minimum a season, uh, I needed something worth fighting for, and it feels like uh, feels like Arsenal is it. You know, I love how you described that. Yeah, when, it, uh... you know, one time I described it before in our conversation was it's like Bayern's kind of like your rich grandpa that just hands you money, <laughs> and Arsenal's more like a a marriage that's constantly on the rocks that you feel like you have to you have to fight for your life. <laughs> I feel like we're coal miners almost. Absolutely. And like, you go to you go to war every day, and you don't know if you're gonna live, if you're gonna die, what's gonna happen. And just I was thinking about this morning. This Amazon documentary is gonna be unbelievable because if you would have if you would have told us about how this season went to this date, I don't know who would actually believe a word you said. Like we joke about how it's being written by or how the season is being scripted by the writers. And 
it's honestly hard to believe otherwise right now. Yeah, it feels like we're in the middle of a Disney movie, and we're just getting to the point where, like, the prince and princess kiss. And we are the prince and the Champions League is the princess? Couldn't have said it better myself. Wow. We've come full circle. All right. Well, we must talk about our three points that we... uh, we steadily earned over the weekend. I say steadily because it was steadily for about 60 minutes. And, uh, you know, back to that marriage reference. I mean, we were, we were, uh, we were in counseling for a while, but we, we saw it through. We decided to stick it out and, uh, I'm glad we did thoughts on the lineup, the major change. Um, Tomiyasu at left back. I think we're all thinking Cedric at left back, but, uh, as one of the journalists reported, Tommy warming up uh, at left back, and uh, I was okay with that. Matched up with Rafinha. Kevin, thoughts on Tommy at left back? You know, it was our one of our loyal listeners, Charles Botts, who actually was the mm. one who tweeted that out. And at the time, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I, and it could have just been some of the pre-match nerves also. I think we're starting to build up at that time, but I, I was happy to have him matched up with Rafinha, but just wasn't sure if we would get much out of him offensively going forward. But felt like it was still good enough to grind out a result for us. Yeah, I to be honest, I was a little disappointed for Nuno, and I know that's going to be, you know, people are going to be like, why? He's been like our most erratic player. But I felt like... I, I want him to do well, and he's just so young, and he's just so raw to where, you know, I think he's trying. I, mean, I He is trying. It's, you know, we've seen the limit of his capabilities, and we've seen seen it at its best, and we've seen it at its worst, and, you know, we're not in a position to see much more of that, the worst side of it. So I was okay with it, and actually I think it turned out to be a master stroke. And a quick note on Tommy and this may be a little bit of a hot take, but I don't think there's a defender like him in the entirety of the Premier League, and I would be hard-pressed to find a defender like him, you know, in European football. Is that a hot take? I think it's a warm take. (laughs) Um, He's incredible. He's incredible. He has everything. And I saw a stat, it was either this week or last week, that he leads the premier league in um what was this uh, something he he's only been dribbled past like twice the entire season the only mistake i can think of him making was that game he was the cup game um yeah it was the cup game he was rushed back for no it was the league game at anfield when we played them in the yeah twice yeah. and jota dribbled past him we could tell he just didn't look right but that's the only Mistake I can think of him making. I'm sure he's made you know misplaced passes, whatever. But that's the only thing. I mean, he's just he's an absolute unicorn. I mean, he has everything. When I think is one of the prime examples of why uh, we can waffle all we want on Twitter, but at the end of the day, Arteta and Edu are geniuses. I mean, Tomiyasu was one of the signings that everyone was like who 
Well, you know, as we as we talk about Tottenham coming up, he was about ready to go to Tottenham, and we were going to sign Real, and Mikel demanded that we sign Tomiyasu, and you know what a signing he has and been. Right, and it's wild too because I I look at him and it goes through my mind of if he cost thirty seven million for us instead of seventeen million. Would we have higher views of him as a player just because he was more expensive? Because I feel like that almost jades as a fan your expectations for him. And you're like, well, he can't really be that good, could he? He only cost 17 million, hadn't really heard of him too much. And you're absolutely right. The more the season's gone on, the more it's you're wondering, what can't he do? He just he defends so well. And he's good in the air. He's quick. He's calm on the ball. Everything you want in a defender, he offers you. And I, I'm hard-pressed not to call him as good as Ben White's been, as good as Odegaard's been. Tomiyasu may be the signing of the season for us. I I agree. And he's missed once. And, you know, it's easy to think back. You know, we did have a good run. Without him, but the couple games that we lost that we didn't have him, it's easy to think, well, if we had him and I think we're giving up, or instead of uh, Cedric, I think we're giving up less goals. But anyways, great to see him um, back again, get another game. I mean, once he was fit, he was always going to be in, but on the left this time, and I know he plays on the left for Japan, so uh, Mikhail hinted at this a couple weeks ago in his I think it was last week in his press conference that he could play all across the back line. And uh, a little foreshadowing, and here he is out doing that. So loved that, and Ketcha keeping his spot. You know, it's pretty crazy to think that at this point in the year, it almost re- the lineup was quite similar to what it was in the first three games to where Cedric, Elneny, and Ketcha um, – I'm missing one other guy. I'm thinking of Rob Holding. Those guys, yeah. the guys you'd never think you'd want playing in games of this magnitude, are starting. But now we're getting it done to whereas the first three games of the season, everything was going wrong. And I think we were missing more guys, to be fair. But you know, we're we're seeing the progress of this squad. So, anyways, leads a pressing team. We press the press, and it doesn't take long. Well. Well, before I get to that, North London Forever, the debut. Mm. Did you guys catch it when it was on? I did. What do we think? Is it going to be a thing or going to take a little time? We obviously weren't there. I was not even in front of the TV. I was off to the side and could hear it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, that's North London Forever. And I... I'm all about music, so completely here for finding an anthem that's our own as Arsenal fans. And I heard it, and I'm like, I, I may have like took off jogging. I won't call it a run. Back to the TV, and it was like chills witnessing that. And you just hope that the rest of the fan base is willing to get fully behind it because I think it can be a special thing that we have. Yeah, it seems like it came from pretty organic beginnings to where it's just something 
popping up on social media. I remember when it came out, we, I think we all individually sent it to each other on each different social media platform. We're like, well, this could be a thing. And um, it really took off. Lewis Dunford's at London Colony. Then he's at the match. And uh, he actually uh, posted a video. His friend lives right side, right outside the Emirates and posted a video um, of, you can just hear it. It's a video of the stadium, but you can hear it. And uh, I was just belting out. And then at the end, just a roar from the crowd. And uh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, very well, I cool. think that was, that was the point I was going to make about like, I think, I think it is here to stay because like this was basically its debut week and we heard 50,000 people belting it. So I, I think it's fair to say it, it'll stick. Yeah. We, I think we need to get some lyrics sorted. It started off real strong and uh, faded off, but um, going to be, I think something that could be absolutely iconic and something that's uh special just to us. I'm, I'm glad we snatched it before Spurs. And I think that the guy's a, a gooner himself, but not that, that they were ever going to take that. But anyways, it's just uh, another part that sets well, us apart. First, in the first verse of the song, I mean, he says, upon the barren fields of Highbury. There and then, is. you know, he also does talk about Tottenham a little bit in that, you know, I, I know we can't make this explicit, but he says uh, every crap hole in between, but he says you know, PG-13 version. And I have to assume that that's Tottenham Stadium. Absolutely. <laughs> I I, that's a it. very safe assumption. Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption as well. That's hilarious. I, I didn't catch that. Yeah. I, to be honest, I don't I don't love the entire song, but the, the chorus is uh, a belter. And the sun-soaked Emirates and hearing that, I was like, whoa, like this could have been – the verses are a little bit of a drag, um, but I, I do think it paints a, a lovely picture before you get into that that absolute screamer of a chorus. Yeah. And it, according, is it, do you know how to say his name? Is it Lewis? I believe so. Or Lewis. Louis? Either way. Either way. I saw an interview with him that he was kind of asking the fans, do I tweak the lyrics just a bit to make this fully fit Arsenal? And you know the reception he was getting, so it wouldn't surprise me if he released a new, basically Arsenal, purely Arsenal version of the song that would be, I think, condensed a little bit and maybe just two verses in the chorus, and that's what the fans belled out. A real doxology of sorts. Yes. Man, they also played it after the game. Um but before the game, that was like going into a game of this magnitude with Spurs dropping points. It's like we got to take a full day. Felt like Leeds was fighting for their life. So this was going to be a massive one. And uh, to start like that, it was over before it started. And, uh, you know, we've been begging for early goals because when we score first, we seem to win. Five minutes in. I'll tell you what, that was quite a segue there, Nicholas. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I get paid the big bucks. Yes, you do. Kevin, you analyzed uh, the pressing scheme that led to Eddie and Kedia, your boy, bagging um, an Aubameyang-esque goal. Yes, I I did say that. Um, do you want to break that down a little bit? It was the epitome of a poacher's goal. 
And even before we break that down, I'll give a quick shout out to one of our loyal Arsenal bros chat members, Alan, our resident Ugandan, who somehow I knew this goal was coming (laughs) because he I don't know how he does it. And I hope he listens this week. He will he will text out the goal scorer literally 30 seconds before it happens. And we're watching as live as live gets here in the States. And he is somehow like literally 30 seconds ahead of us. So you knew it was coming. And and so anyways, they the keeper, they're kind of passing around the back. And it starts off with Martinelli. He presses and then it they swing it out all the way to the flank and Tomiyasu steps up, presses, forces them negative. And then it's Martinelli again, immediately pressing. And, and then you can just see all the, all the Arsenal players on that left side are interconnected. Martinelli forces the ball back. And then was it Aileen who played it to the keeper? I believe so off top and, of my head. And so, and there goes also part of his frustration later on that we'll get to, but later. Yeah. And so Aileen is forced by Martinelli to go back to the keeper. And, and if you watch it, Eddie senses that ball coming and never, and never quits. And it's just another goal we scored that obviously, you know, my stance on Lacazette, but Lacazette is not scoring that goal for us. And Eddie chased down a lost cause, and you almost don't believe it when it's happening. Like, there's no way this is how we score. And just scores and the muted celebration, I think. We were so caught off guard by the goal that the Emirates almost didn't know how to respond at the time. It reminded me a lot of, uh, I did say it was an Obama-esque goal. He scored that goal at Watford. I believe so similar to that. We're just pressing so hard and um, just caught the keeper. And But you're right. It wasn't just uh, in Kedia. That was a a full team press, and you could see that all around and um, a deserved goal from, from a great start. And before you can really settle in, all of a sudden it's 2-0, and we're absolutely flying. And you felt like I couldn't help but think the game was over at 2-0. And again, that second goal was Martinelli just absolutely scorching Luke Ayling on that side mm-hmm. and whips the ball in. And again, Enketia is in the perfect spot with, I think it was a left-footed finish across the goal. And not an easy finish by any means. But another, you, I mean, we use the word poacher's goal maybe too much, but another poacher's goal that he got himself to the spot. And it felt like another goal that was an Aubameyang goal when he was at his best. Yes. In an Arsenal shirt. And yeah, definitely the, the whole build up to the goal is great because you see Tomiyasu go. And, you know, as you talk about Tomiyasu on the left um, and questioning if he can get in, he's the one running in and then turns around and comes back. Uh, but that leaves space for Xhaka uh, and leaves Martinelli in a 1v1 with Xhaka getting all the way out 
I, you know, this 4-2-3-1 with him and Elneny with the double pivot, Xhaka is just popping up all over the place and has truly reinvented himself, but just plays uh, Martinelli through, just absolutely takes care of, of Ailing and does really well, I think, to pick his head up and uh, pick out a pass. And uh, a great finish again for from Enketia. Now I think it's easy to say, you know, and we don't really need to say it, but I don't think Lacazette scores either of those goals. No, and I think it was actually you, Nick, that said it in the group chat that um, Eddie is just such more of a mobile striker than Laka ever could be, and both of those goals required mobility and being in the right space at the right time, and that's just not something Laka has done at all this season. Like, it just sounds so simple, but he can just move. I mean, he he's not a burner to where we're going to thread him over the top every time. And, you know, absolutely anyone, but just the pace at which he can just get places. I just, it's such a simple, like what I'm trying to describe is just so simple, but he's just less in his, his work rate. And, uh, it's, it's been exactly what we've needed. And I bet Mikel, Rue's not playing him earlier. Well, and I also think, and I think Kevin touched on it a little bit, giving credit to Martinelli on that goal because he torches Aileen down the touchline. Oh, yeah. And then plays the ball basically clear down to the byline and then pulls it back before he whips it in. And it was just an absolute beauty of a cross in from Martinelli. With his left foot, he, I mean, he does really well to find and catch you there. And Kenny does really well to pull off, to change his run, to find that angle to that ball to get to him. So, again, very well well done from there. It's 2-0 after 10 minutes, and uh, the sun is shining. North London forever is uh, stuck in our minds, and we're 2-0 up with, with our bagsman, Enkedia. And uh, life is good. It gets a little better about 10 minutes later. A quick scare, but Luke Ayling truly saw the red mist. I mean, going in after watching, I mean, it, it, A, it was a ridiculous challenge and uh, Gabby's had the better of him about all day um, That to that point. But right in front of their fans, I think uh, it gave him a little more juice to, to fly in. And that was a, that was a wild one. And credit to, gosh, I have a hard time saying this, but credit, credit to Chris Kavanaugh, the, the ref, I thought, he did a good job of, of. I think he knew he was going to VAR to check it. And with something like this, it happens so fast. You don't know if there's contact, but seeing it in, uh, in a replay, you're like, oh, yeah. The two feet, the elevation. Yeah, he literally comes in over the ball. Yeah, it was uh, for sure. Yeah, and it it was also a challenge. Luke Ailing is known for being such a a good dude. We even we talked about him for a while on the preview pod for the match, and was really out of character for him. And you're right, Nick. There, I saw so many so many people on Twitter talking about how they were just shocked that they didn't get that call right in the first place. And 
and yeah, it, it was a straight red. I think no one was no one was arguing that once they saw the replay, but I thought he handled it well. It's so much easier for referees to upgrade from a yellow to a red than to downgrade from a red to a yellow. I saw stats on that today. Yeah. And, and he he made the call and then allowed like that is the for me the perfect use of VAR. That's what it's there for. We can get hung up on some of these offsides calls and fouls on build up to goals, but we saw the perfect use of VAR in that scenario and I didn't have much I didn't have any complaints about the way that situation was handled. Yeah, I think you're right. As much as VAR takes some flack, I think we have to have it. I, you know, I I have been an advocate for it, and I know sometimes it seems like it's it, it's so annoying because the lines come out or you know suspect calls. But I think more often than not, the big calls are correct with VAR in the Premier League at least. I can't speak as much of other leagues, but I feel like generally calls like this, it's going to take time because it's still so new. And I still think it's something that um, refs can sort out, but I do think it's worth the time to get the call right. Because in, in a game like this, I mean, in the end, it didn't change the game significantly scoreline wise, but it, it, it could have, um, we were so close to bagging multiple goals and um, you mean it's a reckless play. So he's out for the rest of the season for them. But, Things are, you know, when I think Martinelli's lucky to get out of the way. You see, he just jumps over the ball, or else he's in some real trouble. And uh, we're glad that's not any worse. But uh, I did love seeing the always steady Tomiyasu getting real fired up. He's the first one really having a go. And then the token granite Shaka getting in the mix, as is Gabriel. And uh, I love to see that for sure. And, and and glad it wasn't any worse. So up two nil, up a man, sun is shining. It's not looking like a bad day, but we go into halftime. Two nil. Guys, thoughts at halftime, Pat. Um like Kevin said, I felt like I felt like there was no looking back at this point. I mean, we missed some some real near chances. Like I think uh not long after the red card, I think, was Martinelli's near miss that I thought surely would have been 3-0. Um, but I think going in half up 2-0, two early scores, leads down a man and still reeling from it. I mean, Rafinha about lost his mind and went down to nine men. Um, I felt great going in half. I thought surely this game's going to end 3-0, 4-0, and it would just be an absolute clattering. We really wanted that. I think the first thing we talked about was goal differential. Yeah. Like, uh, we can we can stretch this out. And, uh, you know, I, I myself thought that and really thought that was going to be the case. And credit to Leeds. They, uh, they really battled subbing Strauk on for Gelhart. And they hung around. I mean, to be fair, a 2-1 scoreline is not – accurate because you know we can think of lots lots of chances that weren't necessarily sitters but chances in uh games that are level you're expecting to bag and um we just didn't quite get that done but halftime two nil 
Um, we start the second half, it gets a little cagey. Again, we create chances. Martinelli had, I think he had two, and Odegaard had one, and both or all three just shots inside the box and can't quite hit the target on on any of them and even force a save. And all of a sudden, Leeds get a corner. Fans are going crazy. And we give up our first goal off a corner all season as Lorente pulls off the back, totally unmarked, and gets about one of the easiest goals that he's, he'll get. And all of a sudden, it's 2-1. and uh, First attempt of the game, right? Yes. yes. I think shots were 18 to that 18 to that one, but it's 2-1, and that's that's the beauty of the game. But, wow. Well, Things you are- know, to, to that point, I, I'm kind of our group chat's resident jinxer, as, as you guys would probably mm, yes. uh, say. Um, but I feel like I've seen so much um, attention given to the fact that our hire of Yover from – city uh, uh, set piece coach um just what a higher than that was we've gone all season without conceding from a set piece i just feel like so much pressure has been put on that that it almost felt like that was just a jinx waiting to happen um i mean i think like afc newsroom af tv have been beating that horse dead for weeks months even about the fact that we had yet to concede from a set piece and yet here we are I mean, it was pretty amazing that we hadn't. Uh, True. As as Arsenal as we can uh, be sometimes defending, um, you know, we go through the days of Socrates, Mustafi, oh. David, David Luiz at times, you know, Rob Holding getting beat by 5-5 Raheem Sterling for headers. So the fact that I, I don't exactly know what he did to change it, but it really worked for uh, – for so long was pretty impressive and credit to Leeds again it was a a well-worked routine to where I don't know who flicked that on but it was a precise flick and you credit a great finish to Lorente how are you guys feeling at 2-1 did the nerves instantly crank up did you think we're good or did you you know did you just see uh I don't know how did you guys see it yeah I Honestly, didn't feel too bad at the time. I was annoyed, but then I'm just thinking, all right, now we're going to go out and and get these, get two more or at least one more and, and kind of put this to bed. And I would say I felt fine for maybe another five, ten minutes or so. And, and we didn't really turn the screws that much had we just taken Saka off when they scored no he hadn't gone off yet okay it was it was somewhere close in there and you're saying we're gonna be we'll be fine and then after about another five ten minutes went by and we really hadn't finished the game yet that was when I think our PTSD begins to kick in a little bit yeah i think for me i'm i'm similar i i panicked a little bit just because i thought how in the world are we down 2-1 when shots are at that point i think it was like 14 to 1 um and i thought surely we would turn it around 
Uh, I think it was about 10 minutes later when Odegaard had that um, shot that went just wide right. And at that point, I thought, man, I don't know. And then I think uh, Pepe came on and then uh, what Smith Rowe subbed on for Martinelli, like near 80th minute. And I thought, okay, maybe with Pepe, maybe with Smith Rowe, we can make something happen and just nothing, nothing happened. Yeah, I, yeah, Kevin, like you said, the PTSD for me kicked in instantly because, you know, I have memories of those spring games to win of the Emory days to where we needed to win some winnable games and we found very creative ways to give those up. And I was just like, here's just another chapter of a creative way to give up this thoroughly deserved lead, this game that looks like nothing. And uh, yeah, all of a sudden it's, it's two one, and uh, yeah, it was so. T- to me, I was like, oh, "Man, I don't know how we see this out." I really, I was really terrified, and um, just continued to look at the clock. The Saka for Pepe, uh, the Pepe for Saka change, uh, rather, um, that must have been planned because surely at that point in the game, you're not putting Pepe on to defend a lead. And I think we saw right one of his, that's just not a game. I think we saw that earlier in the year, um, the Villa game and perhaps another one where he just, he's not meant to see a game out. I I think he struggles to have that mentality. And that was a nightmare. And I'll give my dad a shout out here. He always used the phrase growing up, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And as that last 10 minutes or so is going by, I just I, I can hear the announcers going crazy, celebrating the most improbable goal, the most improbable of all goals, two men down, two goals down, and they come back. And we keep going back to the script writers, and it's like those are ghosts haunting us right now. But you're just thinking, like, there's something's going to happen. And then the play that, I think it'll be fun to talk about is that one where Melier was out and we won the header, cleared it out of the box and, and Pepe had it. And I think it, it was so easy as fans to just be all over him for that, talking about how, how terrible of a play it was. And I'm not, I've not been the biggest Pepe hater. I've, I think this year he's obviously taken a backseat to, Saka but in past years I've given him lots of credit for scoring for us but I I just don't see Pepe beating Dan James with pace if he knocks it past him there and I think I honestly feel the cutback was the right move he just didn't pull it off but I, I remember and I, I found it earlier today earlier this season I forget who it was against but Saka had the exact same play and tried to cut it back and got dispossessed with an open net. And Pepe, to me, feels like such an easy scapegoat, similar to what Locke has been all season. But I, I felt like it was this play that we criticized way, way too much at the end of that game. And it's like you're, you're just looking for something to blame. And you can look at even Cedric had 
I think four crosses in that last 10 minutes that went out for goal kicks that we were panicking and you didn't, you didn't see really anyone criticizing him for that. And it's just such an, an awkward play too, because how often do you see guys put into that situation? That's, that's so unique. And that, that kind of just rubbed me the wrong way after the match. I don't know. You guys may have different views on that, but I'd be curious to hear. Yeah, I I agree. I think a he's the easy scapegoat. B, I think um, at that point in the game, the nerves were just so high. Uh, it was late. Melier was coming up. We they were just bombarding forward, and we just we were getting so tight, and it was really hard to see us not giving up more chances, and. Now we have a chance with an open goal, and we don't even get a shot off. You know, I think it's a lose-lose for Pepe. He either cuts it back and loses it, which he did, or he shoots it from a hard angle on his off foot, which isn't great, and probably misses, and that's a bad look too. So, yeah, I uh, I think cutting it back was the right option. It uh, it just definitely didn't work out because credit to Leeds, they were recovering quite well, and Odegaard right was busting through, but was level with Pepe. I don't, wouldn't have expected him to to see him in that position. So yes, a, a very uh, looks easy kind of kind of golf hole. You know, it's like oh, you should be able to make this, but right, uh, definitely and not. All that frustration from that last twenty minutes seemed to come out on that one play. Yep. And I I mean that is exactly what I did during the game and then I, then I watched it a couple more times I'm like okay that that wasn't as bad as I thought and so I'll ask you this question have you do you think there's any truth to there being a challenge between the Arsenal squad in terms of nutmegs during games right now? <laughs> I I tell you what Odegaard is he seems to be looking for them and he seems to get one every, you know, between the 80th and 90th minute, he's getting at least one uh, and going for, going for others. And Xhaka. I was just saying Xhaka. On one... Right. Two against Chelsea on that one play. He had another one yesterday and it, it was killing me that like, I don't want to believe this is happening, but then I'm like, did Pepe just go for his Meg, which would have been the ultimate Meg to guide and then get it on your left foot and score. But it was such a funny thought I had earlier today about that. Yeah, that's an interesting one, no doubt. And uh, I also think there there surely must be a bet on uh, knee slide length. You know, we do lead the league in knee slides, although... We didn't see any in Kedia, not a fan of the knee slides, so not participating in the challenge. I will say, Xhaka's knee slides are truly elite. His against United just fully capped off. I mean, it had to be 15, 20 yards he slid. It, it was glorious. It was unbelievable. After a strike like that, yeah, into the fans. I don't Goal know. of the month. Yes. It had to be. Oh. Another another feather in our cap and another 
reason that United is in the mud. Had to bring them up. Shout out to Jason, another loyal listener. Lots of shout outs today. I love it. We're getting our listeners involved. Anyways, uh, James from Gunnerblog talked about this on the Arscast. Uh, he mentioned how he was at the game and had to go up on the terrace and walk around. Read some funny replies to that. Any coping mechanisms that you guys took took part in or uh, what helped you see this game out? How do you how do you cope with other stressful games? Man, that is that's a great question you bring in there, Nick. I ha- I did not think about this one at all ahead of time, so I'll have to think about it now. I think for me, when when I'm at my peak nervousness, I feel like I almost go into the fetal position, like knees up, chin on my knees, almost like hugging my legs. That that's how the end of West Ham was. It was kind of how I felt yesterday. Like you're just trying to block out everything, and sometimes I will. I'll scroll on Twitter or play other games on my phone and you're almost just trying to not watch and hope that time goes by quick. I could never walk away from the TV. I would be too nervous to do that and come back. Yeah. Actually kind of what I do, to be honest. Um, I, I'm kind of one of those that I don't want to watch when I get nervous. Um, And so I, I guess I don't tend to walk away per se, but I, I try to like, I'll look at my phone a little bit, try to glance up um, just out of pure nerves. Uh, I don't handle it well. And that's kind of why I joke in our group, group chat that if I ever watch games in public, I'm afraid I'm going to get arrested because I, I kind of lash out in case you guys didn't know that. Hmm. We're, we're glad everybody's safe after, uh, after this game. We'll go to the probably the most heart stopping moment of the season to this point, to me at least. Oof. The Rodrigo chance uh, flicked on to him, and he's I mean, he's got an open header now, he's back, he's like all the way turned. But I, I 100% saw him flicking that over a stranded Ramsdale. He's he was kind of in a weird spot, and I just saw that just going over him and landing in. Oh, I, I just, I totally saw that. And the fact that he barely touched it and it went into Ramsdale's hands. I, I could not, I seriously could not believe it. That was one of the biggest heart and throat moments I think I've had in a long time, but my heart skipped a beat. And uh, thankfully Ramsdale's lizard gloves swallowed it up. Thoughts on the Rodrigo chance. I was mortified. And honestly, if Rodrigo would have gotten any more juice on that, we were done. I mean, it just kind of fell into Ramsdale's hands. But I think if, again, like if his back hadn't been turned and he would have gotten any more touch on that, that flies right over Ramsdale into the goal. No question. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with Big Papa over there. And I guess my coping school, I think about that family guy meme with Stewie who's rocking with his eyes wide open. That was kind of how I felt. (laughs) Yes, that was kind of how I felt at 1030 in the morning here watching that happen. And we're I was thinking about earlier today that may if that would have gone in, that probably would have been the most crushing result 
I can almost ever remember as an Arsenal fan. It it would have been the most creative way to lose it. Like I talked about, you know, the Mustafi sh- trying to shield the ball back to Leno um, in against Palace. You know, we lost to Brighton all at home. This, I mean, this this had to would have had to take the cake as I mean, and this one have even lost the game, but it would have lost a massive opportunity to to take advantage of. Tottenham's well, yeah. draw and to uh, go into the derby with any type of momentum, and I'm just so thankful it didn't happen. Like things, I, I've I've talked about luck a little bit, and sometimes I get a little backlash for this because you know I don't mean like a wizard type of luck or whatever, but just in the result of a season, like if if you want to win and be successful, things have to go your way. Like close calls, whether that be VAR or you know, the ref or injuries or just a game of inches, things have to go your way. Back at the United game and how many things just were so tight but went our way, you look at the Fernandez penalty miss, you look at Xhaka scoring that goal with a questionable offside, you look at this game um, and just the two goals that we scored, especially the first one, didn't have to go away. I mean, we earned it, but then they go and score, and then you get the Rodrigo chance, and that's just something that could have went against us, and thankfully it didn't. And these are things that they just add up and lead you to a position where you're rewarded for the good fortune. Yeah, right. I mean, just the, the amount of pressure riding on, this situation. I mean, the fact that we were up 2-0 at 10 minutes, uh, then Ailing is sent off at you know 25 minutes. So we had spent whatever that math is, 65 minutes up two goals to nil. Leads are down a man, and then we concede our first set piece goal of the season, which is already like a super bummer for this game. Uh, then we almost concede a ridiculous header at like literally 93 minutes and there was only three minutes of stoppage time. I think it happened at like 92.50. And just with uh, just the, the pressure on the line with the Derby coming up this week, uh, we would have completely wasted our opportunity to gain points on Spurs draw. I mean, it just would have been absolutely crushing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to kind of transition that to just post – match thoughts i think it was very easy to blow that second half out of proportion and feel like it was much worse than it actually was because outside of their goal and that rodrigo half chance i don't know that they really created anything and i don't care who you are teams even down a man are still going to create chances and we were close to scoring on man city during that game in that second half multiple times when we were down down a man and I don't have anything PG to say about that city game. So oh, yeah, we I won't <laughs> talk about that for long, but it, it made the moment made the result seem less than what it actually was. And it didn't take me too long after the match to just be overjoyed with how massive of a three points it was, no matter how we got there. And I think that was Arteta's exact words after the game also. Yeah, I thought um, 
I thought Arteta phrased it all really well because it was interesting. The me the media, as as always, was painting their narrative as oh, Tottenham can be buoyed by their unexpected point at Anfield, while Arsenal can feel like they should have gotten more out of the two one win. I'm just like, this is just everybody's just trying to make this closer than than what it is. Don't get me wrong, I'm very nervous about the game, even though we're in a great position, but. We won the game and got our three points, and they didn't win. But yet, we're trying to that Tottenham played better. I mean, I mean, I guess you could argue that they did, but regardless, we got two more points than they did and doubled our lead. And you know, Mikel's comments afterwards were great. I think just not letting the fact that we should have performed better. I think everybody knows that, but making sure that everybody, including the team, I mean, I'm not in there. I can't exactly know what he said, but from his post-game comments really made it sound like um, this is something to be celebrated. Winning Premier League games is difficult, and we took care of that, and we got what we came for. And then um, his comments, and this is leading into part two a little bit, his comments for Tottenham was, I can't wait to play that game. And I, everybody's been looking forward to this game, but we've had to take care of business. After losing three, we've won four straight, and it was easy to not look ahead. Um, or it was difficult to not look ahead, but we were able to do that. And here we are in a position for absolutely one of the, the biggest games we've had in years. So, thoughts... Thoughts to you guys overall on yeah. the match? Obviously, we're happy with the points, but any last words about the match? Well, I just think to piggyback off what Kevin said about blowing the second half out of proportion, I am I did. Uh, and I think actually at the final whistle, the first thing I said in the group chat was, what an awful second half. Um, but then I took some time, opened Fop Mob, and looked at the stats of the game. And, like, XG was... 2.57 to 0.49 and total shots were 19 to three. Like it was the dominant performance for that 60 to 65 minutes that we talked about. Um, but it was, it was easy to and feel it's like classic. Yeah. It's, it's a scoreline, not showing it, showing the true narrative, but that's just the reality of the game, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. So yeah, it was sure. it was easy to feel like that last twenty five to thirty minutes we really kind of threw in the towel. But you know the the whole game stats for the the game as a whole say otherwise. I mean possession was sixty three thirty seven, and you know like we always say at the end of every win, the three points is all that matters. And right now at this point in the season, that means more than ever. Absolutely. And since I'm not the jinx man, I can say this. I just, I don't know if you guys saw the message from Alan. Apparently, Nketiah just put us up 1-0 at the lane. So, <laughs> a great a great way to end the first half of this pod, I think, with that news out of Uganda. I uh, Man, that's incredible. He's, he's farther ahead than we thought. He's a wizard. He's a Ugandan wizard. He really is. You know, it's always amazing because in games that we're not winning, 
I'll just get on WhatsApp because my stream seems to be farther behind than others. So sometimes I'll have to, I'll have to do like the do not disturb, but I find myself if we're, if we're uh, losing or, or, or tied, I need, I need it. Like I need to see him typing and, uh, the Wolves game when Pepe scored, I got the Pepe before. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I, I had to hide my phone. I was like, I, I, I can't, as much as I needed that. Well, now that I got that, well, now we're going to win. I need to experience it. And sure enough, we took care of that. So. And I'm not sure we've ever talked about just how magical Alan is with those uh, messages. Because like any of the rest of us, when someone scores, it's like, all caps, like a million exclamation points, gifts galore. Alan literally just types their name, like all lowercase and sends it like anything could happen. They could be injured. They could be sent off for a straight red. They could score a goal. We have no idea. He's just like, (laughs) and and you you have to actively work to uncapitalize the first letter of those words. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's so professional. He just does his job. Incredibly subdued in his, and his goal celebrations. He's the ice man. Absolutely. Well, I sure hope he listens now. We'll have to have him on soon. He's just also very knowledgeable, so we'll surely get him on. But any last thoughts, boys, on a uh, what ended up being a glorious day at the Emirates? I just want to say thanks for having me on. Uh, I've been an active listener for, uh, I think, 11 episodes now. Um, it's just been an honor to be on and I'm, I'm ready to seal fourth place in, in champions league football, um, at white heart lane on Thursday. The buildup is just, it's too much, but every wake up without closer. I have blood rushing to every corner of my body. Anytime I think about the NLD. <laughs> Kevin. I'm not sure how to follow that up, but I also think I screwed up. I know Ben's going to listen and be very disappointed in me. I think they call it Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now, but I choose to call it whatever I want because it's a pile of garbage anyways, as as North London forever purely states. The old crap hole. Yes. But just another huge three points, and, and we'll talk about it more in the second half of this pod, but a chance for our biggest win against Spurs that we've had in my lifetime. And I'm ready for it. And such, such a a glorious chance for us there. And I couldn't be more excited. I've said this a lot, but these are the games like as nervous as I am. Like these are just the games you want to be in, as especially as a fan. Like you want games that have value, games that are important, and uh, we're about to get that. So that's it for part one. We will save the rest of that for part two. But Pat, thanks so much for joining. We're glad to have you. I'm sure it won't be the the only time, but it is the first time. What a thrill this was, boys! Indeed, I'm excited for. And now that now that you're on. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Kevin, thanks as always. It's always a blessing to be here. Indeed. We're all bye.
A lovely three points in Eddie and Ketchia. Bagging again. All right, that's it for part one. Stay tuned. Welcome back to part two of the Arsenal Bros podcast. I'm joined again by fellow bro Kevin and another special guest. Neil, welcome to the pod. What's up, guys? Good to be here. We have the pleasure of having Neil, but I hate to inform the listeners that he is a Tottenham fan, and we're here to talk about the North London Derby. And uh, Neil's a good friend of friend of ours. Not sure if he's a friend of the pod, but fr- friend of me, Kevin's, and uh, we're thankful for him. But uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, we can civilly discuss this, but know that uh, we both want the best for our club. So first off, and this is a question I think uh, we, we ask all of our guests from other teams, but specifically any Tottenham fan, how, how and why did you become a, a Spurs fan? Like, why are you putting yourself through this? <laughs> yeah, probably the same reason why your, uh, your, your fellow Cleveland Browns fans put <laughs> themselves through that. <laughs> Uh, just just really love not winning things no um <laughs> at least you know that <laughs> yeah I, I, as i've gotten older there's a lot of self-awareness that's grown uh, i wasn't always this wise but uh so it probably goes back to when i was in college i want to say my my junior year um the the lads would just just absolutely rip games of fifa um non-stop so um, that kind of coincided with just watching uh, a ton of Premier League and sort of fell in love with Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, uh, Jermaine Defoe as a kind of like the playmakers going forward um, that year. And um, shortly thereafter, they signed probably one of my top two favorite soccer players of all time globally clint dempsey deuce and um yeah so that kind of cemented my my uh allegiance to the side and when he started scoring goals for for them i think that was right after his stint with fulham um it was it was game over this is this is my side so so yeah that's kind of how it came about and 10 10 years later here we are I do feel like the Dempsey move was a sleeper move for a lot of Americans because I, to be honest, I think I know possibly even more Tottenham fans than I do Arsenal fans. I I hate to say that. That's not, that's a a stark realization, but I feel like the Dempsey move a couple years ago and uh, that seemed to spark it all off. I guess for you being a Dempsey fan, that had to be about the best thing ever. Yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, Texas Nacogdoches finest. Um and yeah, I've been a Deuce fan since. I mean, I had a I'll I'll get to some of the other posters in my room here in a minute when I was growing up, but that the floppy hair, the New England Revolution poster, um yeah, I've I've been a Dempsey guy for as long as I can remember. And and honestly, I don't know which career is better on the pitch or in the booth because when he throws those shades on on Paramount Plus I think he's got a I think he's got a long career on camera as well. He's quality 
for sure. What's your experience been like as a Tottenham fan this season? Yeah, so I feel like there's a couple different seasons within one season, really. Um, you know, there was the the Nuno experience, which I think Nuno's a really nice guy. I think he he did really great work at Wolves, but in the big picture, he was nothing but a stopgap um, manager for until we got Conte. I mean, I, I just if you kind of back up and look at it with some perspective, I think that's kind of what happened. Um, I know he had a, a winning record. I, the, the the results were falling at the end, but um, you know from game one against City um, forward, he, he you know he did he did lead us to a winning record. But um, so there was that experience, and then there was um, you know the the beginning of Conte's run and a couple injuries that were that plagued the team, and then. Um, Unfortunately, after a, a remarkable spell of, of scoring goals, we hit like two really painful games against uh, Brighton, which Trossard stole three points from us in the 90th minute. And that's going to really come back to bite us in this Champions League race. And then the very following week, we couldn't get it done against Brentford and Drew. Um, and like both of those sides are are very respectable. They have an identity. And I guess to sum up your, your question here, it seems like Tottenham can get up for the big ones, but they can't take care of business against middle to, to lower table teams. That seems to be especially evident with uh, Conte and how he employs his tactics. What have been your thoughts on having a, a serial winner in Conte come in at a time of need and put them in the position that they're in. Well, I always romanticize Potch. Um, mm. the, the memories of, of, of reaching a Champions League final in the matter that we did, both in the quarters and the semis, with just electric, absolutely electric, you know, uh, leg uh, second legs in those games um w- was pretty awesome and then jose came in i'm pretty sure again just trying to back up and see the big picture i'm pretty sure he came in just for amazon prime and to like bump <laughs> up some viewership <laughs> i was convinced of the same and then always was gonna leave it in flames no matter what which you know, turned out to be true um but yeah, with Conte, I just am really grateful that we have such an identity again. And the identity, you could argue, you could argue, Nuno was a decent match for that, being a a former you know Porto guy. But um, just like, hey, we're okay to not have the ball. It's it's not necessarily uh, traditional or the most respected way to play the game. But I've always believed there's a million ways to skin a cat. And it really, you know, he, he kind of matches up with our, our personnel well. Going forward into the summer, we've got to add some some serious depth um, in the middle of the park and, um, and, and maybe another wing back or so. Yeah, definitely, especially with the three back, that wing back is, 
is so critical. Who you, you talked about Dempsey being obviously one of your favorite players of all time. Who would you say is your current favorite Spurs player in the team right now? Sonny, no question. It's an easy answer. He plays with so much joy. His motor is definitely that, definitely worthy of you know a, a leadership position. Um, and the dude, I mean, he's just delivering, right? I mean, people love goal scorers. People love winners. Um, I'm going to need the, the, the stats team to, to check me on this, but I want to say he has the most non-penalty goals in the premier league. Um, 20. He's, he's, he's way up there in that conversation regardless. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, it's fun to watch the, you know, the intuition and the, the chemistry that's been built with, uh, the old hurricane, um, and getting on the end of, of several goals. And so to build off what Neil just said, as our, one of the resident stat gurus for the second pod we did, I, I did a bunch of research on XG for some of the top attackers in the premier league. And I was mainly looking at Lacazette at the time and how terrible he was. And I, I do remember seeing Sone up there as I think the, for any guy that had scored over like five goals this season had the, had scored the most goals on the least expected goals. And it just shows you the craziness of the finishing that he's pulling off for them. As an Arsenal guy showing some love and gassing up my boy like that, I can say thank you. Yeah, and it was funny. We were I was <laughs> I was texting Brian, one of the other bros during the Liverpool game or the Tottenham Liverpool game on Saturday. And what a match. It really was. And I, I was texting and I was like, man, would you take him on our team? Because you just want to hate every every Tottenham player there is. And I think he's the perfect example of a guy that you love on your team and hate on other teams. And I think that's about the ultimate compliment you can give a guy. Now, hang on here. Do, do you hate Son? I won't say I like him. I, I think, but there's a level of respect. Yes, that is dwindling as as it is for all Tottenham players. But I think we can respect him. But there are other players that may or may not be named that we just we can't say those type of things about. I all right, not- so so you want you know you want some some controversy. I'm gonna make a comp here, and I'm gonna take you way back in time. So. So, so buckle up. I'm here for it. Um, my introduction to the Prem dates back to like 2003, 2004. Uh, I played on a, a club team. Coach was from South Africa. And we didn't really film our games. Not to date myself, but like back in that day, uh, it was a lot of over-the-shoulder camcorders. Maybe a tripod if if you had a lot of money, but it, we're, but we're talking about field level, not really a great way to watch game film like you do today, right? So he was a huge Arsenal fan, and as you guys know, we're talking about the Invincibles, two thousand three, two thousand four, undefeated, 
Premier League champions. You probably remember the season. And while we're watching film, you know, I'm, I'm watching guys like Robert Perez, Freddie Youngberg, like just screaming down the flank. Um, and then there was this guy in a Sega Dreamcast jersey, which is what who I thought they were called at the time as being a dumb 13-year-old, <laughs> by the name of Thierry Henry, number 14. And he... I, again, I'm not here to throw stones. I'm here to find some common ground with y'all. He quickly became my favorite player in the world. And if you remember back, I said my top, one of my top two favorite soccer players of all time, Clint Dempsey. The other two, other second one being Thierry Henry. And and maybe that makes me shunned and disowned by the the Tottenham community. But I got to be honest with y'all, and I'm coming on the Arsenal Bros as a guest. I had to throw that out there. Now, I'm going to take it one step further and say that this could be a stretch, but I'm going to make a comp between Thierry Henry and Harry Kane just to piss you off. Oh, man. Just the fact that you put them both in the same sentence (laughs) has my blood boiling. We've we've about reached the time limit on the (laughs) podcast. I just think that you know, the things that Thierry Henry did that that I know Harry does, he, he doesn't – he's not just that out-and-out out target number nine back to goal. He will come back deep into the, into the midfield so that he can get on the ball because he's such a playmaker. And to limit his skill set as just a goal scorer would be doing him a disservice. And you have to, you have to agree with me there as an Arsenal fan. I, I will say this about Harry Kane. I I can't compliment him in any way, but the amount of times that he makes me like almost physically ill by scoring goals is way too often. And that's about the best compliment I can give because he he has these ways of scoring goals from half chances goals he shouldn't score and this is exactly what arsenal have needed this entire season he's a half chance merchant and Man. also he he i i can admit that there's a level of from a tottenham perspective there's a level of gamesmanship that would piss off the other 19 teams in the league that, i think that's the politically correct way to put it absolutely to be unfiltered he looks for opportunities, not necessarily to play dirty, but to absorb cheap shots that aren't cheap shots. Man, you said it quite eloquently. I, uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's that's what it is. I uh, and it can piss you off. I mean, I get it. There's, does it piss you off? Does it piss does, me does, off? Does, does he it ever piss bother me off you? When Granite Jaka takes cheap shots all across the midfield. We'll he d- there's no such thing as a Granite Jaka cheap shot because he is crucified for looking at somebody the wrong way. <laughs> but his, rep- his reputation does not do him any favors. And I think to speak to Jaka's the point make on Granite is he's all he had almost become an outcast. He still is an outcast for a large contingent of the arsenal fan base i feel like and as someone who's played soccer for so long and coached i think the people who know 
the people who know ball know that that stuff factors in and is such an important facet in the game itself. And as you, a fan, it can piss me off. As a as a soccer mind, every dog pound needs an alpha. And I'll also throw him a shout that on Saturday, April 23rd, that left-footed strike that left De Gea speechless, let alone motionless, to ice that game against Manchester was that was something special. So I, I I will counter you with this, and this this was on the notes. So you have this. He talked about Henri, and at first I will say I I'm very bitterly disappointed that at being an Henri fan, we let you slip out of our hands and you went in the other direction to the other side of North London. How, how, how could Thierry Henry be your favorite player and you didn't, you aren't wearing the red and white right now? It'd be like if I grew up thinking Denard Robinson was something special and then I decided I wanted to be a winner and went oh. to the Ohio State Buckeyes. Does that sting? No, because I get it. All right, we're gonna go there. That's fine, but <laughs> that's right, the other yeah, interesting. Back, back to our topic. Back to our topic. yes. <laughs> that's definitely the other interesting facet of this pod is Neil and I are lifelong Ohio State bros, and Nick is a Michigan fan, and so we could easily do this podcast in the fall, and it would be completely different. I won't have much to give to that, but we are <laughs> we are the leaders and best, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, Neil, your favorite. Maybe not favorite. Who is an Arsenal player that you rate right now? Um, I'll answer that with with two, just because I'm feeling so generous and grateful, really, to be a guest on the Arsenal. Bros. Yeah, and maybe you could combine it into what what you think of Arsenal this season right now. Okay. Yeah. So, part one. It, it it's got to be Bukayo. He has tremendous likability as far as his intangibles go. Um, and then I think he's got this really sneaky good body control, athleticism dynamic to him where it's not twitchy, it's not jolty. It doesn't look like he's moving quick, but he will pass you in the blink of an eye. And I just, you know, as uh, as somebody who's seen a lot of soccer, but also is just a, a sports fanatic, it's it's his athleticism is not, I don't think, talked about enough in his game. And I would combine the, the combination that you have in Odegaard and Saka working together so often, uh, I remember I texted you, Nick, I think it was in the Watford game mm-hmm. and Watford scored some, you know, remarkably fortunate side volley on a corner early. And, oh yeah. And, and they're, they're up and enchanting and the tide turned quick. And it was this just absolutely beautiful combination play down the flank resulting in a, an Arsenal goal. And they went on to get the win, but those two together, I think is it's it's so critical to keep them at the core of your identity moving forward. The youth, the you know, exuberance, the the likability, and they both are 
are, are, are quite unselfish in their game, which I would hope for your sake attracts maybe a couple more goal scorers. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'd say those two I have, I, I, I can enjoy watching. Um, part two, I think <laughs> I Arsenal is going to likely get the, the better of North London as far as the last laugh is concerned. Um, and there's been some, some streaky moments, but Arteta clearly has some, some power in the locker room. And, you know, I don't know what all went down with Obama Yang, but maybe a addition by subtraction in terms of the long term there. And um, yeah, it seems like there's an identity and you guys are starting to return to the form of your expectations. And it's been several years. That's not a cheap shot. It's just it's no, several it, years. Yeah, it has. Um, you know, as you were talking off air about you and your team, it reminded me of Arteta and the identity that he's looking to build is, uh, I'm sure he hasn't been an inspiration for you, but do you have any, any thoughts, any opinions on Arteta? I guess compared to the situation that you're in at Tottenham with Conte coming in after a stopgap, almost in my eyes, I see him as a stopgap too. He's he's not long-term because he blows things up and leaves it in flames too. But what are your thoughts on kind of our, our process versus your process, our manager versus your manager, just in those situations? Um. Yeah, I mean, Arteta, he's got the experience um, that I would that I would want and that I would respect if if I was a, a player playing for him, uh, both on the field and also where he's, um, you know, coached where he who he's coached under. I mean, yeah, a couple years ago in the in the NFL, the big thing was. Oh well, if he has any link whatsoever to Sean McVay, we're gonna hire him. Oh, he had a, <laughs> he had a beer with Sean McVay. We gotta hire him. And you know, I think there there might have been some of that effect with with who Pep has had under his wing or the Pep tree, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I try to put myself in the shoes of an Arsenal fan, which is a challenge, um, I'm I'm. I'm glad that that it seems like his his side has really responded and management's rallied around him a little bit and ownership has and um I think if you get yourselves into Champions League football next year um it can only you know the rich get richer right um if if you're top 4 playing playing in Champions League you're going to sign <laughs> you're going to sign somebody who you didn't think you were going to sign a month ago. Right. Yeah, that, ch- that changes a lot. It To me, it feels like I was picturing this in my head, and I'm sure both of you as coaches can relate to it. For Arsenal right now, it feels like the boat is rowing in the right direction, and the players, the management, the coach, and even the fans are all going the same way. And you compare that with what's happening in, at United right now 
and it is so much different. In that's that gonna regard. that's gonna piss me off though that United's gonna back their way into Europa League. That's that's just that sucks. It it is kind of annoying. I kind of want them to be in Conference League, but it you're not wrong about that. I I have to get my shot at United in every single pod. So <laughs> I think it's a token pod uh, comment that we take a slight jab at United because. I think they're too arrogant to ever commit to a rebuild or to admit that they need a rebuild. The whole the whole club, I don't think, can ever admit that and commit to it. And so I, that's why I think it's it's having us so hard, such a hard time to happen. Absolutely. And even a thought on Tottenham this season that I didn't get to earlier is they had a really good January uh-huh. signing, I think, Bentaker and Kulisevsky. And I remember reading about it was probably an Arsenal fan that was t- that was tweeting about it, but they were just calling Kulisevsky slow and said he wouldn't be able to adapt to the Premier League and the game was going to be too fast. And it's like his very first game he scored. I think it was a, a big game too, maybe against City or someone else. And it's like, are you kidding me? But I think that that was huge for. Tottenham this season was getting those two guys in because they've played significant minutes for them. Well, they're instant starters. Um, and if you want to transition that way, um, I, I, I'm not trying to you know, drop a superlative or have any kind of recency bias here, but I, I truly think that the top, the, the front three that, that Tottenham is throwing out every week right now is a, top three front three in the premier league definitely i i had thought of that and i i i would agree with that and and i'm not gonna try to convince anybody that they're better than liverpool or hell even city's backups but um i feel really good about uh the kind of balance of powers you talk you look at what Sun brings, what Kane brings, and then what Kulu brings, and they're all very different. And trying to describe Kulishevsky's game to somebody who doesn't watch soccer <laughs> would be very challenging. <laughs> you know, his right right leg is is really just for standing, but yet he can still put Andy Robertson in a blunder. And yeah, he moves funky, and it's not super quick, but. I really think he unlocked something for us. And uh, again, I'll have to put the stats guru on this, but I think going into last match week, he was leading the Premier League in assists since his debut. Um, Just kind of adds that top-level playmaker to us going forward. Yeah, he's been impressive. Yeah, and the fact that you guys got him in Bentecourt in January and – it, it, I'm sure it's hard to imagine life without them. It probably seems like a long time ago. Now, are those those are both loans? Is that an option to buy? Is that an obligation? So I know Kulu is an 18 month loan with an option to buy. It just gives the club a lot of flexibility, and I would bet a lot of money that he's wearing a Tottenham shirt in 2024. Um, Bentancourt, I I can't speak on his contract. I don't know that that agreement offhand, but you know he's brought some stability and he's a he's a top guy and clearly 
kind of a bona fide starter next to Hoy Bear. Um, but yeah. I, I do worry a little bit about, you know, we, we sold four in January and we brought those two in and we got significantly thinner. Skip went down with an injury. Doherty went down with an injury. Um, <laughs> and I'm not thrilled about Harry Winks being our go-to guy to come off the bench <laughs> in the middle. I'm cute, glad you said that. Cute little Harry Winks. Looks like he should be playing for the U23s, but uh, I digress. You know, an 18-month loan is kind of crazy. That, you hardly hear about anything like that, but, you know, it seems like it's it's really worked out well. If Conte, uh, if Conte is, is, you know, knows what he wants and can get ownership to support him, I think that's a, a trickle down to the locker room to, to say, hey, like, there's, there's trust here, okay? And also, yeah, they're all from Italy, and I expect more Italian signings or Serie A signings next year or this summer. But, um, hey, if it works, we're going, we're going to stick with it. Fair enough. Well, let's move on to Thursday. What What are your thoughts? How are you, How is your heart feeling going in into that game? Yeah, I guess we'll start there. Um, my heart is is feeling great. Um, it's it's. I think we're gonna win. I think we're gonna get three points, and then we're gonna move on to uh, our last two. Man, why is that? Why do you feel the way you feel about it? So I think um, I think that we can maybe segue into pressure a little bit here and talk about like, okay, well, it's a huge game, like in the race. It's a great thing about the Prem. There's so many races, right? There's the title race. There's the Champions League race. There's Europa is probably the least popular, but then there's that relegation race, which, you know, Everton and Leeds, that's going to be, that's going to be something fun. But um, but as far as the pressure, I think that I, I, I've, I've been trying to workshop this comparison. And now that we're in the NBA playoffs, I'll, I'll, I'll pose it like this. Say you are, say the top seed, Miami Heat. I think they're, they're currently beating the 76ers, or maybe they just close that out. Say that the Heat are up 3-2 on the 76ers going back to game six in Philadelphia. Who's the pressure on? Well, I would say at first glance, the pressure's on, you know, Miami. Hey, let's, let's close this out. Let's just be done with it. But in my opinion, it's, it's really hard to manufacture your back up against the wall. And Tottenham's back is up against the wall because they're, they're trailing by that extra point that's going to be the death of them in the end. So to bring this full circle, I think the pressure's on Tottenham, but it's a good pressure. I don't think Arsenal will be able to feel the desperation necessary to Mm. go into Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and get three points. So my my prediction is Tottenham wins 2-1. Arsenal finishes their business and scores 
or, or and finishes the Premier League one point ahead of Tottenham for fourth place. Kevin, how would you feel about that? Are we? Do you want me to jump into the final prediction right now? Uh, no. I, I first, I want to hear how you feel. How do you feel um, going into this game on on our side of it? And Spurs have been. We've said it all year. They've been so good against the best teams, the top teams in the league, and even Liverpool on Saturday. If Liverpool wouldn't have tied that game, you couldn't really have argued too much against Tottenham getting the three points in that match. I feel like they really shut down what Liverpool were trying to do, which we've talked about that on this pod before. Arsenal's attack is very similar to what Liverpool try. But I think Liverpool might have better players right now. They do have better players up front, which is a bit of a concern. And then the other thing I agree with Neil on is Tottenham has the experience and the the home fans behind them. And I think that will... I don't want to say it'll be like a baptism by fire for Arsenal's young guys. But that it's something I'm super excited to see how they handle that pressure. Yeah, we uh, we don't have a lot of guys that have played in a game of this magnitude. Saka's about the only one in the Euros. Outside of that, you know, maybe Xhaka and just his experience. But man, other than that, it's a. Uh, it's pretty limited. I want to talk a little bit about the tactical side of it. So, Neil, in your position, you you need to go for this game. You you really need to win it. I mean, that's how I'm seeing it. I mean, a draw doesn't help you guys out at all, and a loss obviously takes care of what you're, you're fighting for. So you, I feel like the feeling at home is you have to go for it. But tactically, you, you Conte doesn't line up to ever really – go for it so what are you anticipating in a a game like this um from your team yeah i mean psychologically too i think there's a an element you know i talked about the the good pressure on tottenham but if you want to look at that same coin on the other side it might present an opportunity to arsenal especially those young guys there's you know, ignorance is bliss and, you know, naivete in this situation could be a good thing. And you say, Hey, we're, we're playing with, with house money. If we, if we win, it's over. (laughs) I mean, for all intents and purposes, the race is over and it's essentially locked up with a seven point cushion. But um, tactically, I think, first of all, (laughs) self-deprecating, Tottenham fan that I am the great thing about no midweek European or even domestic competition is you get to play your best 11 every weekend and <laughs> I, I don't expect any changes from the Liverpool game you know we're on I guess it'll be about five days rest um, I, I think that that 3-4-3 will be seen again and I guess um, we can maybe get into the trying to play into the, the manager battle a little bit. And Arteta is somebody who's trying to prove himself. Uh, don't take this the wrong way, but, you know, every manager has an ego. 
And you saw that, you know, what Klopp had to say after a loss. And you saw what Conte replied with. I think I think Arteta is going to try to attack. I think Arteta is going to try to play like City or or even a, a Liverpool and, and press and play high and keep possession. And that's I think that's going to bait that you know I think they're going to get baited into what Tottenham wants. Um, and forgive me for not knowing the full injury report, but is Tierney out? Yes. I think that's a massive loss. Like he's so, so good. I've got a ton of respect for him. And I, I really think that um, the, the pace going forward is, is going to be a problem. Um, The reverse fixture, by the way, sheds absolutely no light on this game at all, which is kind of fun. Um, Again, I can't speak for the Arsenal lineup that day, but, I think we had something like six, six players that started that game will certainly not be in the starting lineup this time around. We have a different manager and some of those players that started are no longer with the club. Um, Yeah. Those were Aubameyang days for us as well. Like that, that just seems like a very, very long time ago. And, and, and Arsenal smacked Tottenham with an S H. Um, and, and I, I think that can easily get played up as bulletin board material a little bit. Um, and you know, tactically, I, I think that our counters are, are lethal. And, um, as you get deeper into the match and into the second half, um, I would, would hope that Conte is willing to go to the bench to the likes of a Lucas Mora to a Stevie B and um, try to create a a spark if need be. Um, But if there's a lead in the 70th minute, I'm, I'm fine with, with kind of keeping the, the lower block and, and, and doing what's necessary. Kevin, tactically, how do you think Arteta's going to go about this one? Man, I, I have feel like a pendulum. I've swung back and forth all week on what I think he's going to do. And we'll start off with, I'll go back to Conte and Spurs tactics. To me, it seems like the second leg of a Champions League Mm. semifinal. And you know what you need coming in. And I think it would be an, an idiotic move by Conte to do anything outside of what Spurs always do. They're good at it. And you hit the 60th, 65th minute and you still need a goal. Then you treat it like you're down a goal in a match and you're figuring out how you want to change things offensively. But I, I think they go out and play exactly like they have set up. And part of me getting back to Arsenal, part of me believes that, Arteta is going to go back to what he did against Chelsea a couple weeks ago, which was he started with a back three and then two wing backs and kind of adapted that into a back four. At some point during that first half, he changed. It was honestly really hard to figure out when because that was such a disjointed match. But I think with the news today that Ben White is back, 
he, him and Tommy also give that ultimate flexibility to go from a back three to a back four. And my intuition is we, Arteta sets Arsenal up to be able to do either one of those things. So I, I see a back three coming out with two wing backs, and then it'll kind of be adjusted as needed. I agree. I also think the Chelsea platform is probably the best way for us to go. Um, and I, to me, I, as a coach, I feel like the best way to neutralize a back three is to play it yourself, and then it just becomes a battle of the midfield. And I love watching those individual battles at that point and seeing then how coaches adjust. And Mikel adjusted throughout the Chelsea game. And Saka and his versatility kind of Neil, as you'd mentioned, his skill set was a huge player in that. But having Ben White back, having Tomiyasu back, now we, we again have even more versatility to be able to flex in and flex out of a back three and a back four. So, I uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see. It will be a bit of a cat and mouse game. I mean, thinking you know earlier this season, if this was if this was the matchup, you know, I think both teams would feel like they could go for it. But now it's just an interesting position where Tottenham have to win um, and Arsenal don't. So, yeah, Neil, you talk about that desperation of, yeah, our backs are against the wall. You can't replicate that. It's it's do or die. We're at home. This is going to be our best chance to give us some momentum. But I will say for Arsenal, you know, this is a chance for you in a rivalry game to – put that final nail in the coffin and how many chances are there for that. But like Kevin said, we have such a young team and uh, it's uh, you just, you you just don't know. I mean, sometimes there's the youthful ignorance that comes in and, and uh, it doesn't phase them, but sometimes it's, you know, we haven't been here before. So I don't know. I keep playing lots and lots and lots of scenarios over and over in my head. So um, any, any thoughts on uh, Neil? You gave us your prediction, Kesky. What would you? What are we going to put down on paper for you? A score prediction. Score prediction. I will. I've thought about this a lot. Obviously, thought about this a lot. My my gut tells me a first half Arsenal goal is then pretty quickly matched by a Tottenham goal. In the second half, so I think halftime goes one-one, and then the second half I think is going to be the most anxiety-ridden forty-five minutes I can remember. It's going to seem like six hours, <laughs> and I I'm going to predict a one-one draw, but I think the one way Arsenal lose lose the game will be if Kane or Son score a worldly against us similar to what he did last year son did in that fixture at at tottenham and it's going to take something very special from one of those two guys i think to win the match and without that i can see it ending 1-1 which i think is perfect for what arsenal need obviously i to put something on paper for me, I'm thinking 2-2. I often pick draws in these big games. Um, and I know neither team has really drawn many games, but I see it being 
open and cagey and maybe some mistakes that lead to chances in just having a, a clinical front three for Tottenham and in just having Arsenal obviously not as clinical but able to manufacture chances in different ways. So I see it being pretty level and pretty cagey, and you're right. Um, you know, as we've shown, if we get an early goal, we've – I guess if we score first, that is – we've been able to take care of business, whether we hold on to that or give it up, we've been able to come back. But if we give up that first goal, especially on the road, that, uh, that's a lot, a lot harder to, to come back from. So, well, and it's, I mean, especially you talk about who you're playing tactically, you, you feel that pressure to make something happen. You, you give up a one Oh lead, you push forward. It turns into two Oh, so quickly, but I think that if Arsenal gets that first goal, um, call me crazy, but if Tottenham can get up for City, it, which we're two and zero against, two draws against Liverpool, you know, and, and and some other teams that are top half of the table, but we can't beat Brentford and we can't beat Burnley, and we struggle with Southampton and Crystal Palace. Teams that play a low block against us, we we truly lack the creativity, the spice, the um, first step to break down that low block with consistency. And you know, if Arsenal gets that first goal, um, I don't want to say it's curtains, but it's an uphill climb, and we're we're not particularly well versed on set pieces either so i can't wait it's gonna be a fun one either way i you know if that happens rob holding is coming in instantly and and doing what he does so i i might get a a call into arteta because to me that sounds like the best way um is to is to go hard to score and then low block and take care of business so this is a game that i have a feeling legends will be made um i mean anyone that scores in a derby instantly becomes a hero but if you score in a derby win then there's something there's something different about that and those are guys that you don't forget especially in a game of this magnitude no doubt so i'm very interested to see just personality wise who steps up and who uh, who wants to be that guy. I, I'm i assuming this won't be a drab, nail-nail draw. I just don't think it has it in it. But I uh, I think we're in for for a classic. I mean, the buildup is all there for this to be surely the biggest derby in maybe – I'm trying – probably four years when we played, I think, at the new lane when Aubameyang – miss a penalty and that was pretty late in the season when both teams are fighting for champions league. So that's the last uh, league game of this magnitude that I can think of essentially a cup final. It uh, really is. So any final thoughts, uh, Neil on the game on life as a, as a Tottenham supporter. Um, yeah, just best of luck to uh, the guys in red. Um, we'll connect after the game. And uh, I guess I'd take this moment to just remind everybody that we won the 2018 Audi Cup.
in the summer, so I don't want to hear about any silverware jokes <laughs> on Thursday. A very, very prestigious and legendary team um, winning that. You know, Neil, I will say I just am very um, jealous of the confidence that you have because I'm just on pins and needles. Like, once that – that kickoff, that whistle blows, that kickoff. Like I'm going to be losing it. I'm losing it right now, and I can't imagine the, the state I'll be in. Kevin, hopefully, I'll be, I'll be with you, and you can, uh, you can keep me. Uh, I, I don't know, just yeah, keep me alive. As evidenced by both of you guys predicting draws, I was, I was expecting a little bit more. Um, we don't, we don't play to play to tie, do we? I don't. I think I predicted a draw in the Chelsea away match also, which was after three straight Arsenal losses. But every other every other time I predicted a win. So that yeah, that truly shows the it, nerve. It, it's telling of the pressure and who it's on because you guys know that if you get a result, even a a result here, it's it's over. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so part of me hopes. I mean, we go for it, but if we go at you guys, we know what we open up. So that's why I'm having such a hard time figuring out what that looks like, and that's why I think the most likely scenario is, like you said, Kevin, for us to for us to do what we did against Chelsea, and I think that is how we're going to line up, and uh, that really changes what the game looks like. And I, I I'm excited just to see that tactically play out. So Kevin, any last words before our execution I've had of like, ourselves? <laughs> I've had like 10 things I want to say and they all, I, I think it's just talking about the game has raised my stress levels already. And I'm sure I'll think about it afterwards, but just looking forward. It's, it's awesome to be, back as an Arsenal fan in this position of meaningful games and and one of our favorite traditions every year especially early on in my Arsenal fanhood was St. Totteringham's Day and looking forward to tweeting that and you hate to say it but we haven't had that in a couple of years so yeah to finish his run in the sun yeah I can let you know what it feels like to lose in a Champions League final Oh man, my Arsenal fanhood started just after we lost lost a lead in the Champions League final, so I uh, didn't get to experience that pain. But uh, retroactively, I feel it. But you know, we can uh, we can have that pain together. I guess we'll we'll try to forget those days. But Thursday is uh, shaping up to be an absolute cracker. And uh, yeah, you're right, Kevin. I mean. It's, I, I think I've said this every single part. I think I said this in part one. Like, it is a blessing to be able to play games of this magnitude at this part of the table. And, uh, you know, th- this is why we're fans. This is why we love the game. And you always remember the days where games like this go your way. And the days that don't, you're just looking forward to the next one. And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, you just love the Premier League. There's there's nothing better than the Premier League. So, okay. Well, for Kevin and for Neil, I am Nick. Thanks so much for listening. 
we will be sure to do something quickly after the game, uh, whether that be Thursday night or Friday at some point. I'm sure we'll be itching to process it regardless of the result. So thanks for listening. What an absolute belter of an episode. If you made it this far, we love you very much. So thank you for this. Thanks for giving us a platform just to chat about the team that we love. Through the highs and lows, we are the Arsenal Bros. Well, I think it just came up with a catchphrase there. Maybe we'll keep that. But thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. Check us out on Twitter at the Arsenal Bros.